Holy Spirit, your people call out for understanding. Bring to our yearning hearts and minds the truth of your word. Amen. So last week, Lynn introduced us to the Gospel of Mark. And in the first part of the first chapter, Jesus is baptized by John, driven into the wilderness to be tempted, calls his disciples, and preaches his first sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. And folks, the pace doesn't slow down any today. Much of what we will cover took place in the space of 24 hours. And we're going to cover a lot of ground in the next few weeks. Mark covers a lot of ground in a short space already. I could preach several sermons from just the passage we're going to deal with today. However, we're looking at this whole picture. Not every figure in great detail. It's a forest series versus a tree series. So buckle up, it's going to be a ride. Our theme for the next few weeks is risky business. We're going to explore the risks that Jesus takes as well as the risk of those who come to, see, to him and those who follow him. Sarah Bessie reflects on the risk that Jesus took, quoting Dorothy Sayers. We have very efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. To those who knew him, however, he in no way suggested a milk and water person. They objected to him as a dangerous firebrand, a roaring lion, if you will. Sarah thinks that this is because of Jesus' radical message of love and grace. God is love, and love is ferocious. Get in the way of a mama bear and her cubs, and you'll discover that. The great risk that Jesus takes again and again is to show God's ferocious love to those excluded or cast out. Already in the first chapter of Mark, Jesus shows that, shows that love and challenges the religious system of his day, taking risks that will continue and even grow throughout his ministry on earth. Let's see what this one day shows us. Mark 1, 21 and 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, they entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. So Jesus and his newly called disciples are in Capernaum, the place that many consider Jesus' home base for ministry. It's the Sabbath, of course it's the Sabbath, and Jesus has gone to the synagogue where he begins to teach. Now unlike Matthew and Luke, Mark doesn't tell us anything about his teaching. This, there is no Sermon on the Mount in Mark. But 
Mark does tell us that this is teaching unlike anything the people have ever heard. He teaches with authority. What gives my preaching authority? Well, you could say, I have authority because a board of ordained ministry in the Texas Annual Conference examined my understanding of scripture and our doctrine and evaluated my effectiveness in actual ministry and said I'm good to go. But is that what gives me authority? I work diligently on these sermons. I read, I research, I prepare. Is that what gives me authority? One writer I read this week gives me insight into what made Jesus so different from other rabbis that people had heard. Jesus is unique among all teachers in that he is the kingdom of God drawn near. All authority ultimately rests on the authority of God expressed in one who is, as the demonic powers confess, the Holy One of God. The people around Jesus seem to understand that Jesus' authority is very different, that he has authority because of who he is. When Jesus says that the kingdom of God has come near, he is talking about himself. He is the kingdom of God. That is his authority, his very self. Notice the power that Jesus demonstrates when the confrontation with the demonic spirit occurs. He speaks one sentence, and the unclean spirit obeys. There's no touch, there's no ritual, no extra stuff. Just be silent and come out of him. Command and result. And his fame spreads throughout Galilee. By the way, notice when Jesus casts out this unclean spirit on a Sabbath, and in the synagogue, no less. So just like many of us, church is over, and Jesus and the disciples leave to go for a nice Sabbath meal. Peter's home, in this case, for dinner. Only there's a problem at Peter's house. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So Peter's mother-in-law is ill. She has a fever and is in bed. And as soon as they arrive, Jesus finds out about her and responds. Again, notice the simplicity of the healing. He took her by the hand and lifted her up. And she is fever-free and responds by getting up and serving them. Now, I have to admit that I've not always loved this story. I mean, look at how the women are valued. You get rid of your fever and you have to go and cook dinner, right? Get well, get to work. Most of us know that you don't even have to get well to have to get to work, do you? Well, you know, I should have known better. I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. This is not how Jesus sees women. Jesus values them as people and disciples. I mean, why bother healing her at all? She's just a woman, and an older one at that. She is effectively a nobody. But not to Jesus, not in the kingdom of God that has drawn near. She is somebody. She matters. Then the word used to describe what she does when she is healed is diakoneo. 
Now, we've encountered this word already in Mark at the end of verse 13 when Jesus is in the wilderness following the temptations, and Mark says the angels waited on him. They diaconioed him. In other words, this woman serves Jesus as the angels served him. And this word is still with us in the church today. It is the root for the word deacon, which in the Methodist church is the order of clergy called specifically to serving others. Peter's mother-in-law is a model for how we should respond to Christ's healing. Did you realize that we've all been healed by Christ? When we became his followers and we put our whole trust in his grace, he healed our sinful natures. He freed us from the bondage of sin and death. And like Peter's mother-in-law, this nameless disciple, our response is to get up and serve him. To serve him like the angels. Pay attention to the women in Mark because over and over we will see that they have the right response to Jesus. And it all begins with this woman. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Well, this cat is definitely out of the bag, isn't it? Notice when people start to arrive after sunset. Sabbath begins at sunset on a Friday and it ends on sunset on Saturday. If you are in Israel as Sabbath ends, you will watch a transformation. Streets that are empty and dark are suddenly, like somebody rang a bell, full of people and life. And that's what happens here. Sabbath has ended and people bring all of their sick and ill to Jesus for help. Jesus isn't afraid of running the risk of healing on the Sabbath, but the people aren't quite as eager to challenge the religious authorities on this point. Another thing you might have already noticed, the demons recognize Jesus but he does not let them speak and even commands them to be silent if they try. Now he does that with people too, and they never obey. We'll see that in just a few minutes. But the demons do. Jesus has authority over them. It's literally not possible for them to disobey him. Now you and I prize that great gift of grace that is free will. We choose to follow Jesus. We are not compelled. We can choose to ignore Jesus' commands, to do the opposite of what he says. Demons don't have that gift. So my question, why do we fight so hard at following what Jesus says? Why do we all think we're smarter than him? In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. Can you imagine how tired Jesus is after the day he's had? 
So he gets up early before the sun and finds a place to pray for a few minutes all alone. Any parent in this room, especially any mother, knows the gift of those five minutes alone, but not for long. When I read this, I hear a tone of chastisement in what the disciples say to him. Everyone is hunting for you. Why are you hiding? Why did you leave? Why did you make us look for you? You know, they have a good thing that's starting to go here. People are coming from all over to see this new rabbi. He's becoming an important man, and they, as his disciples, are getting to share in this limelight. But that is not Jesus' concern. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. Yeah, I think it was a temptation to stay and let the people come to him to be famous and sought after. Unlike Matthew and Luke, Mark doesn't give specifics of how Jesus is tempted in the desert. But I'm sure that fame and glory were part of the temptations offered. But that's not Jesus' mission. His mission is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to as many as he can. And so they leave. And they travel throughout Galilee, sharing the good news and performing deeds of power. This is a temptation we still face. It's far more comfortable to stay in familiar surroundings and welcome people who come to us. This is the attractional model of evangelism. You prepare a welcoming place, you send out invitations, and whoever shows up, God bless them, you're welcome here. But that is not what we are called to do. Ours is a missional model of evangelism in which we are sent out to seek those who need to hear the good news, just like Jesus did. A leper came to him, begging him and kneeling him. He said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose. Be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country and people came to him from every quarter. So in some ways, this sounds like the healings we've already heard about, right? But the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible makes an interesting choice in translating verse 41, which says, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand. That may not have been exactly how Mark wanted you to read it. When the leper says, if you choose, you can make me clean, Jesus, according to Mark's choice of words, has his stomach or his intestines turned. What turns your stomach? What twists your insides? It could be that Jesus is disgusted. I mean, that's one thing that turns our stomach, right? See something really disgusted? 
Or it could be that he is so moved with compassion by this man that it literally twists his gut. You've seen that, right? All those little puppy faces on the ASPCA commercials. Doesn't it make your insides twist? But Jesus feels strongly and shows it. He doesn't just say, I do choose in this majestic manner. He snorts it. He roars it like the lion. I do choose. There's emotion here, raw emotion, passion, not just compassion. He is roaring like a lion. I think Jesus is angry and disgusted at the system that has oppressed this man. We know that a a wide range of skin disorders could have been labeled leprosy then. He may not have had what we know as Hansen's disease. He may have just had a bad case of acne. But the label ostracized him from all of society. He had to live apart from everyone. And when he went out into society, he had to go along shouting, unclean, unclean, so that you could get on the other side of the street and avoid him. Jesus sees what this has done to him. The great risk this man has come, taken even approaching Jesus. And I think that is what angers him. The isolation this man has borne. And Jesus acts to make him whole. A part of the world of men again. Did many of you see the movie Help or read the book The Help? number of years ago, about black maids in the 1950s in in Mississippi. One of the families that one of the maids works for is being pressured by her, her friends to build a separate bathroom for the maid to use. Because God forbid that any part of their body should touch something she had sat upon and done her business in. You know, I thought this was creative fiction until I visited a parsonage in Longview, Texas that was built around that same time, the 50s. And I discovered there's a bathroom in the garage. The pastor who lived there had always been mystified about why anyone would put a bathroom in the garage until he saw the movie. This house would have been of a status to have had a maid in the 1950s. And they had a bathroom for her in the garage, unclean, unclean. You may think we don't have these untouchables in our society, but you're wrong. For some, it's still people of a different race. In the 1980s and 1990s, people with AIDS were our lepers. Who is it now? People of a different political party? Immigrants? Jews, homeless, LGBTQ? Are we willing to risk touching them? Are we willing to risk restoring them to full inclusion in the kingdom of God? We started out by talking about the risk Jesus takes in these verses. He challenges religious authorities by healing on the Sabbath and bringing a new teaching 
that exposes theirs as less than. He, changed, he challenges society's values by showing that a mere woman whose name we never learn is important and matters. He challenges the disciples by shaking them out of the comfortable idea of setting up shop in Capernaum and moving, out, moving them out into the towns and villages of Galilee. He touches a leper, making him clean and restoring him to full inclusion. And he gets angry at the system that oppressed this man. Any, if I did any of those things, they might get me a meeting with the DS after a call from the SPRC, District Superintendent Staff Parish Relations Committee. Which brings me to this final thought. As his disciples, we are called to conduct risky business, to challenge society's values and the religious authorities' rules, to touch the untouchable, to love the unlovable, to restore their full value as beloved children of God. It's not an easy calling and I fail at it regularly. But Jesus hasn't given up on me yet. And he hasn't given up on you either. He just keeps taking risks on us. Amen.